0: Welcome to the Adversity to Advantage podcast. This is the place to learn how to get through your worst rock bottom and start to embrace adversity. I'm your host, Petra Belzebor. I'm a therapist and a life coach, but my biggest learning is from my own rock bottom. My story includes being raised in a cult, dealing with depression, anxiety, suicidal thoughts, and alcoholism. But along the way, I've learned to turn my entire life around to one of success, joy, and fulfillment. So in this podcast, I'll be talking to people from all walks of life who've done the same. I'll be teasing out the skills and tools necessary, as well as using my own experience to teach you how to turn your adversity into your biggest advantage. Welcome everyone to the Adversity to Advantage podcast. I'm very excited today. I've got Thomas Vitorka on the line, on Skype, on a Sunday morning. He is one of the top London life coaches. He's a speaker and a founder of OK Is Not Enough. He works with professionals, entrepreneurs, decision-makers, and managers, helping them to strategically push past the OK zone and achieve outstanding results. Welcome to the podcast, Thomas. Um,
1: hi, Petra. It's, it's great to be here. Yeah. Uh, It's a pleasure on Sunday morning to spend time with someone like you and and share my story. I'm excited to
0: to hear your story. And I know we're coming from a slightly different uh, perspective than we have with with other interviews, which makes it perfect because I love to show all sides of the argument um so so give our listeners just a little bit of context about the work that you do there was so much in in that sort of sentence about you what are the things that you're most passionate about at the moment
1: well as um, as you said so I'm a life coach it's pretty much the, the main thing that I do yeah. and I absolutely love what I do I love helping people and and understanding what makes people tick and why people do what they do and then helping them understand why they do it and then together we find a better way um of um you know handling their situation and finding better better results and as uh, as he said i'm a founder of okay Not Enough, which i'm sure we will get into in much more depth uh, later on um but that's that's a philosophy that I have and that I want my clients to be able to relate to um, because I generally believe that OK is not enough. And um, OK is, is the toughest place to be in in life, I think.
0: OK, yeah, it is. It really is. Um, so I get, I'm really excited about this topic because um, OK can sometimes you know feel um, comfortable. Um, it can feel safe. Um, mm-hmm. and so people like to, to stay there for a little while if, if they can. Absolutely. And so um, yeah, I'm really curious about your, your journey. Um, if you just take us back to the beginning, so give us a little bit of context of, of your childhood, sort of where, you, where you grew up. Um, and do you think the, the education system or your parents sort of prepared you for life as an adult?
1: Uh, (laughs) okay so let me let me tackle this question yes (laughs) i'm originally from czech republic and i'm from a little village up the hills and mountains where um it's you know just a few hundred people yeah and that's where i spent the first 21 years of my life and so i know that your your podcast is about adversity and Interestingly enough, I'm sure that some people might see my childhood or my growing up with the condition is adverse, or um, in comparison to you know what's available in the world, but I never, I never saw it that way. And I would say the, the theme of my first 25 years of my life were this: this okay. I was exactly as you said that okay is comfortable. It feels safe, but it rarely is happy or fulfilling
0: fulfilling yeah
1: big force um it, it's like you you feel like nothing hurts it's not that bad but it's not what you want
0: but it's not amazing and, either so yeah. you're not getting like the full range of emotions that are available
1: yeah and so kind of you asked me how uh, my, my parents and um the, the school system prepared me for, for yeah. the later years in life. Uh, since I was, a, I think, three or four years old, I was really into drawing and painting and, and all the artsy stuff. And so my parents put me into, like, weekend in classes. So during the week I used to go for drawing classes and all that stuff. And then when I when it was time to join college, because I was already for maybe eight years in um, the arts um, um, environment or pursuing that it seemed like ah, I was going to art school was, was the right choice but to be honest the reason why I chose that because it was just comfortable, it was easy, it was something that I knew how to do, right. I was uh, really passionate about it, not really And um, It just made
0: sense because you'd been in that environment It. Was, yeah, yeah.
1: it had, I think uh, I would call it the path of least resistance Oh yes Right. So sounds it, wonderful <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and and obviously you know you're growing up and you're realizing hold on um, I mean this is easy but is, is it am I really passionate about this, and um, unfortunately towards the end of me finishing my degree in art uh, because it was glass making focused um, uh, college. Um, when 9-11 happened, it pretty much it had a diverse, devastating impact on the glass industry and um, export and all that stuff. So that wasn't really a choice to oh. – career choice to pursue, which I was – I guess looking at it now, I think secretly I was kind of um, – Relieved? I couldn't – yeah, relieved. I think that's the right word. That I, there wasn't really – an option for me to pursue that that's interesting
0: because I I thought you were going to say you were disappointed because you invested all this time in this path of least resistance and then suddenly it sort of slapped you in the ass
1: yeah but you know if if I pursued my further career in that it would be just more of these okay yeah and kind of emotionally because I'm not like really really creative person Okay, <laughs> and, which you really need to be yeah. very good in in art. So, so anyway, that was the the, the kind of educational part, and I think the way my, my parents are great. Uh, I love them, um, even though we don't speak that often as like I guess as they would like to. But um, they're great parents, and in terms of the lessons, I've always been quite rebellious against what people thought was good for me and what i should do and and all this stuff but one lesson that i'm so grateful for that my father told me uh i wasn't we were not rich or wealthy or anything like that we were doing fine we were doing okay (laughs) (laughs) the theme (laughs) continues yeah and but i never really got i was never really given money or like hey Go and buy yourself this. So I needed this. My so parents just gave me money. Yeah. I was getting pocket money just to buy some steak and I, money for my bus ticket. But um, when I wanted to buy a bike or something, my father always told me, "I'm not going to give you money, but I will give you the opportunity to make money." Oh. And so I was helping, you know, in in the garage. He was working from home, so I was helping him. And and I think I think it really. Um I, I learned really early on that well, you have to work if you want something, you have to work for it.
0: So they instilled a kind of work ethic in you, like you exactly. have to earn it.
1: exactly. And I think <laughs> this is one of my quote unquote superpowers that I am if I want something, I'm willing to I'm able to put an enormous amount of work into getting it, and i'm I can just work, work, work until until I get it.
0: Persistence—that that's an it is an amazing superpower.
1: Yeah. So uh, that's a kind of in—I don't want to say in a nutshell because it was a long story. But uh, does it answer your question?
0: Yeah. Yeah. So um, your your parents—it sounds like they did the best they could w- within the environment that they were in and the conditioning that they probably had um, as far as uh, preparing you. I mean, this path of least resistance bit. Did they have expectations for, you know, where you would end up or were they passionate within their jobs or anything?
1: Um, the, my parents always supported me in, they, you know, they always wanted to make sure that I'm doing well at school. And again, yeah, I was, I guess I'm reasonably intelligent. And so I was getting good grades without really trying hard. Right. And that kept me, again, in this okay zone. Sure. But it has the aftertaste of, when you're really honest with yourself, you know that you could have done much better if you really tried. But, but and it was
0: easier to stay, you know.
1: Yeah, you, if you can get by. Yes. This is the story of most people. Yes. they with, I'm, I'm actually, to insert a little, um, little note here, I'm writing a book now. Love it. Uh, which is about this, you know, okay, it's not enough. Yeah. And I think people want to be as little as uncomfortable as possible with the least amount of effort. And so basically to do as well as he can without trying too hard. And yeah. this was... I was—I didn't really study much and I was getting pretty good grades. So why should I <laughs> go out of my way and um, spend hours in studying or on studying when i could have been going out and having a lot fun with friends and so on and get a little bit of just a little better marks yeah so yeah. that was just, again th- that's why this was the theme of of the first I don't know, 21 years of my life um,
0: it's an interesting just, point around you know just having the f- having fun in quotation marks um where you know when people get the urge of something greater or or pushing through or something that's, that feels passionate it can be kind of scary you know, and so they sort of talk themselves out of it. Or what I see consistently is they, they numb themselves out through you know uh, alcohol, uh, Netflix, um, you know the, the bullshit stuff yeah, to just yeah, fluff yeah. up their life, you know, uh, so that they don't have to actually face up to maybe the difficult decisions of pushing themselves to their full potential.
1: Absolutely, it's just escapism, and it's uh, people have different drugs they use or different means yep. they use um, just to um, numb their own um, knowing that they could do much better if they really tried. And it's not, for most people, this is really hard to admit to themselves. Yeah. That, you know, they have things to complain about and they're unhappy, but they're not really doing much about it. Oh, and complaining can be escapism as well. If you but just yeah, complain
0: yeah. a little bit, then you're, you know, you're showing that you're dissatisfied with something, but you don't actually have to do anything
1: about it. Yeah, yeah.
0: What, what did you use to numb yourself, Your to, to provide some kind of escapism
1: for yourself? Um, wow, that's a good question. I never thought of that. Well, here's the thing. I think this might be my second superpower. I've always had really great level of self-awareness and self-honesty. And so I knew that I could be doing much better. But I didn't let myself, I guess, fully realize why would that be good? Like, why would it be worth doing so much better?
0: Yeah, I like really what's the point? Heart?
1: Yeah. So I don't think I was, um, I don't think I had a, a sort of quote unquote drug of choice that, that would help me numb this. I was pretty aware of what was going on. But mind you, you know, I was growing up in a little village. Sure. And the life is very different. The opportunities are very different. Like now when I go back sometimes, occasionally back, back home, I can see the massive difference in in how I think what's possible and how my my friends and family uh, think what's possible. And, you know, Czech Republic was, you know, post-communistic country. Uh, there was you know, the mentality was sort of shaped over you know a few decades into, you know, you just being obedient. Otherwise, if you speak up, then you go to jail or who knows what will happen to you. Yeah. So there was this, you know, in combination being from, from village, I didn't really aspire to be much more because I wasn't aware that, you know, I could have my own business and I could – change people's lives and I could be making money it's it was yeah it's not it's even on tv yeah it's not even <laughs> but it just sounds mm. so remote yeah
0: okay so it felt so uh remote and so talk us through the next stages of your journey so you said sort of 21 25 you know your your life sort of goes down a certain path um you your the the glass sort of business um begins to uh diminish And so at some point you're making new choices about your life or this thought of, you know, okay, is not enough begins to form. Talk us through that sort of next phase.
1: Okay. So it's, I think when I was 21, it started to dawn on me that the realization of, okay, if I continue like this and I was in a relationship for a couple of years at the time and, and, I had a job, I was working in a big company, and I was going to work, and I was going home. I was going to work, and I was going home. And I projected five, ten years ahead. I'm thinking, oh, is this my life? Is this what it's going to look like? And I said, no, okay, I, I need to do something. So I want to increase the odds of me getting you know, a great job or um, just having a better future. So I thought, I need to learn another language english ideally because that would increase my odds so i decided to go abroad and and learn the language so I ended up going to the uk and also i know your your podcast is a lot about adversity and i'm sure many people could see some of the things i've been through as you know big adversity Probably nothing in comparison to the other people that you've had on the podcast, but for example, I was almost um, killed by a falling tree when I was twelve years old. Um, I think
0: that counts, Thomas. <laughs>
1: yeah. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> and also, I think when I was fourteen or so, fifteen, my parents got divorced. Ooh, yeah. And this could be a big hit, you know, for many people. Uh, but honestly, um, that's one of the things that I do. I just I'm able to rationalize. Or not let, I think I've always had my emotions under control uh, really well. I'm very emotionally aware. And so when my parents told us, me and my my siblings, I thought, well, if I look at it honestly, it makes sense. Because even though they never argued or anything, they they didn't necessarily look as a couple. So it made sense. And if they believe they'll be happier separately, then so be it. I'd rather have two separate happy parents than them being together miserable
0: so they sort of and decided that okay was not enough <laughs> yeah
1: <laughs> actually yeah yeah totally and you know i'm i'm glad it happened they they are much happier i believe uh, would it be better for me to you know have complete family and better for my siblings probably but it that just that's not what happened so i think people can People need to realize that, you know, whatever is happening in their life, there are different ways to look at it. And you as a, as a coach, you know, as well. Uh, but sometimes we're stuck in our own little bubble of, you know, in our own little perspective. And um, things can devastate us, but um, there's so many studies on people, you know, amputees and so on. And they actually say, you know, this is one of the best things that ever happened to them because of how it helped them uh, see life and appreciate things differently so um,
0: yeah it can yeah. just shift your perspective I am curious because I've just gone through a divorce and I have a 14 year old son uh, interestingly um, and you have uh, you know there's a there's the beauty in hindsight of reflecting and going actually that set me on the path and it wasn't that bad and people get go through much worse and and you and you're obviously describing yourself as self-aware um, and I'm I'm just curious about being in that 14 year old self
1: I think what's important is. Eh, is to stop being selfish and thinking being angry because I don't have a complete family and you know how unfair this is how could they do this to me you know honestly it, I don't think it was about me at all or about my siblings it was about them too that you know two grown-ups that are still I don't know, 40 50 years ahead of them why should they stay together and be unhappy yeah if it people are complicated you know sometimes you know whether it's the you know, the passion or the relationship, things just fade away and you can't blame anyone for that. And um, I think what really helped me, I don't want to even say get through it, but just understand because I, I didn't yeah, suffer in any way. Sure. Um, it's just separating myself or taking myself out of the equation and seeing it, you know, what's the best for them. So and kind of removing yourself and others. looking yeah. objectively yeah.
0: at the individuals yeah. in the situation. Exactly. Fascinating.
1: Um, and, go ahead. And so, um, to, to actually you know go and answer your initial question. Yes. Um, so twenty one. I said, okay, I need to, I need to do something with my life, and yep. I, um, my English was very basic. Um, I didn't have money or connections to just come here and and just talk to someone or get a job. Sure. So I arranged being an au pair. Okay. Uh, from, from back home. And I'm, I'm not great with kids. <laughs> yeah. And honestly, again, but because I wanted to learn the English, I was willing to do whatever I had to yeah. to, to make that happen. Yeah. And I was, I was pretty fortunate. Um, I was staying in a the family. There was two boys, 9 and 11, so pretty grown up. And their father uh, was um, um, uh, and a musician in Royal Opera House. So my job was ready to be there at home and in the morning, to um, you know, send the kids to to school and then send them to bed in the evening. Yeah. So it was pretty, it was pretty easy. So I stayed there for a year, and then um, later I moved to London, uh, and because I was there for a year and I realized okay, uh, there's another level for me that I, I can reach now. Um, so I moved to London. Many more opportunities. And again, speaking of adversity, I had to start at the bottom. So the the house that I moved into. It was there were fourteen people living in a house. Wow. It was one bathroom. I was sharing a tiny room with a with someone who became a very good friend. I constantly check guy as well. And the window had so the room had one window into the bathroom. <laughs> <laughs> so it was it was insane living experience, and it was very cheap. I needed something to start with, and yeah. and again it could be seen as you know adversity, but it was I just took it for what it was and this is what I had to do uh, and so over the years I was kind of improving making a little bit more money and moving to better houses and so on and I was working working in a catering uh, company inside of a bank and after about a couple of years which you may have seen um, on my website I was on the position of a trolley boy so I was I loaded trolley, a trolley with uh, sandwiches and drinks, and I was pushing it through the floors and trading floors and all that stuff and selling drinks and sandwiches. And I was, I think, 25 or so at the time. And it, around that time, it really hit me. Again, I projected in the future, and I'm thinking, wow, I'm making 1,200 pounds a month doing this work, and I live in a city with amazing opportunities. hmm and is this what I'm going to do for the rest of my life? Like, How am I going to create a decent life? And I said, okay, no, this, I need to do something. So I went to and signed up for university. I started studying psychology because, you know, people and human minds and, and personal development has been a big passion of mine. Um, so, yeah, I signed up to university and I was working full time, studying at uni uh, in the evenings and um, so, was this
0: the first time that you felt you were doing something you were you felt somewhat passionate
1: about? Oh, absolutely! I love that. I love psychology, and I, I gave it my absolute everything. That's where I no longer was willing to settle for okay. And I can tell you, I was studying my ass off, and um, a couple of my friends that were at um, at uni. As well at the time, and they're they're always telling me like, how can you study so much? I was telling them, how can you not? Like yeah. you want to get you you know, I had the great opportunity. I got a bit of a scholarship, and I was so grateful for that. And I, and I thought, I must do the absolute best I can, because one thing I hate the most, and I'm scared of the most, is regret. You know, this knowing that you could have done better, but you just didn't try your best. So I always so this want is, to try.
0: This is uh-huh. a totally different attitude than uh, what you were saying earlier of like, you know, you didn't have to try too hard, you got okay grades, you were fine, you know, all that sort of thing. And now yes. so so would you say that the moment as as a as a trolley boy kind of thing, was your pivotal it's you know, okay is not enough moment? Could could you put it down to because now you've got a completely different attitude as you're describing yes. it? um, within your, your uni and, and you're studying and you're like, why wouldn't you? And I want to reach my full potential. So just, I'm trying to get that middle point of at what, how did you know?
1: Right. So, um, you're right around that time when, when, you know, I was doing the trolley and realized that I, where I was heading in life, I, I realized my biggest fear, which is to live a mediocre life. Mediocre in in all kinds of ways, Um, just getting getting by financially, emotionally with the things that I want to have, just settling for for what I can get comfortably. When I know that if you work hard, you know, when I was working this as a trolley boy in the investment bank, there were people around me, not much older than me, and you know, nice suits and and having important jobs and responsibilities and. It looked like they liked what they were doing and making a lot of money as well. Not that money is a measurement of the happiness for me, but um it's part of the package. Yeah, yeah. And so I just decided that, you know, okay it was no longer enough for me. And I decided that I will just give it my all to build the best life I can for myself. And uh, I never questioned that again.
0: So that really so, yeah, was, that was your was turning big, point.
1: Yeah, that was like a big emotional shift. There wasn't a specific moment or a day. Sure. But I know this is, this is where, where it happens. It can be a
0: gradual process, and sometimes yeah. those are the things that stick with us as long as we continue to pursue them. Yeah. I guess I talk about um, that there is a blessing in adversity in the sense where when a person has a pivotal moment, or in my case, a, a rock bottom or several rock bottoms where you get so low or you crash so deep that you, your, your choices are either death, you know, or pushing forward in some way. And um, mm-hmm. in a way, those are a blessing because you're, you're, you're fucking forced to make a decision, you know, Absolutely. Um, because it's that bad. Um, and so how much harder and, and I see it all the time sort of within my therapy and, and my coaching uh, practice, the people that are like, oh, but it's safe. And, and if I just carry on this way, you know, I'll just make adequate income. I might settle for an adequate relationship. I may get a mortgage, you know, that that kind of, you know, so I really recognize that it is so much harder in a way to make the decisions that you made. And you're not going to identify with it being hard, I guess, <laughs> because of how, how you're talking. Um, but when it's comfortable, it's easier to just stay being comfortable, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Rather than this. I don't know. Do you do you, do you understand where I'm coming from?
1: Oh, absolutely. And this is what, um, as I said, I'm writing the book, and this is what my book is going to be about. And this is what OK is not enough about. And I believe that okay the the zone of tolerable discomfort is is the most dangerous place to get stuck in because as he said when you when shit hits a fan and you down at the bottom and life is you know too painful
0: yeah
1: oh it's too painful to stay the same yes then you will do something about it then you will take uh, you know whether it's massive action or you know bold step forwards you, you lean in you jump in and, you know, because yeah, staying the same is just too painful. Yeah. It is just unsustainable. And I think at the time when I was, you know, doing the trolley thing, I think my okay just became too painful because that's sort of a continuum. And where it was okay, I started realizing my potential, my possibilities, and the okay was no longer okay enough. Yeah. And, yeah. and but as long as people are in this okay zone and you were totally right at the beginning it's comfortable because nothing hurts nothing is you know whether it's emotionally or, or, or physically and so why would you why would you change why would you do something about this and I think it's a it really is an evolutionary adaptation because um, um, some certainty and, and comfort and comfort means that you're not being threatened. Yeah. By by anything again, whether physically, or emotionally. I think the physical part is more on the, on the survival um, spectrum. So your brain is telling you this is good, this is fine. Why yeah. would you? Why would you make extra effort? Why would you sweat? Why would you get tired? Why would you risk? Why would you rock the boat in any way?
0: Or risk danger.
1: Yeah, risk, risk danger mm-hmm. exactly. And mm-hmm. so when. Um, you see, when you drop from the okay zone to, let's say, like me, I realized, this is embarrassing. What am I doing with my life? Like, how am I going to find, a, you know, a girlfriend that will like me or respect me when I'm, you know, in a way such a lucid <laughs> yeah, yeah, this yeah. job, right? And um, so um, the, when, when you drop into that painful zone, you see, it's a you have to do something about it. It's a must. But from the okay zone, success in any shape or form, whatever that means to people, it's an extra. It's a want. But yeah. it's, it's, you, you don't have to. So why would you?
0: And, it, and you attach hard work and possible pain yeah, to it. Yeah, so, yeah. so why would you chase that?
1: Exactly. And it's a, it's a trade-off in people, people's mind. A human mind is very simple, as complicated as it may seem. But the human behavior is very simple. It's always a trade-off between you know, pain and pleasure. You either you're trying to get away from pain, trying to get towards pleasure, whether physical, or emotional, and if if changing seems more painful than than not changing, then you're not going to change. And when people, as for example me at the time, when I, I saw staying the same became too painful, and the way I saw it, um, it's way more painful than, than try, risking something and trying something new and going to university. Um, at the time, I didn't know that I would become a life coach. I thought I would become a psychologist. And so it, in my mind, it just seemed a logical step to, it, was, it seemed logical to just go and study and put the hard work in it because not doing that would lead to much more painful life.
0: So you could see five, 10 steps ahead. That if you yes. stayed on this yeah. sort of treadmill, that, that you know, this is where it would go. So even though you were still in the okay zone, you could see that the, the pain would be worse than the investment that it would take to make your life go down a
1: different path. Oh, absolutely. And you know, as a psychologist as well, I'm sure you encounter this um, you know, every day with your clients, is that we want to feel good right now. Yeah. Oh, yes. We right? want
0: the quick G- fix.
1: Yeah, getting, go, going to the gym getting getting fit it's just like why I want to feel good right now okay I'm not I want to have that muffin or cake or whatever yeah. it might be that makes me feel good right now what will happen in a year of me eating muffins like okay I will I will deal with it when I when I get there yeah All right so people the successful people trade um not feeling good right now momentarily in exchange for feeling great fulfilled and satisfied and successful for for the decades later
0: so I'm, I'm absolutely and it's it's how i live my life and it can become habit where you can um, sort of assess these things quite quickly and know that if you invest that time, that life will, will get better. Um, yeah. How did it sort of grow for you? Cause I know you're, you're working successfully as a life coach and how do you sustain this type of thinking? What sort of habits or routines have you introduced into your life in order to maybe sustain your level of, of success, whatever, however
1: that looks work, personal. Mm. Great question. So I think one of the main ingredients to to success is uh, being able to do the work, the amount of work that needs to be done. So, to give you an example, when after doing university, uh, finishing university, I thought, okay, I'm you know, life. I, I love working with people. I I love person development. I love psychology. I would love to have my own business. What could I do? And and life coaching kind of popped up as as something that would tick all the boxes but i didn't know even is it is it is it real do i know someone who's is it possible to make a living with that will i enjoy it like lots of questions and i just thought you know what i'm just commit to this for one year and i give it my absolute everything and after a year i'll be wiser and i will know if i can make any money with that and whether i like it and so so on
0: and if it all goes to shit what's the backup
1: plan well then, I know this is—it's not going to be on my mind anymore. Um, I know get that this it out is of not your working, mm-hmm. and I will—I will focus on something else. Um, so, rational. Yeah, I, I basically, yeah, totally. I, I would say I'm very rational. Sometimes maybe too rational, but I just committed to—to to, you know, one year to learn how to coach and grow my or build my coaching business, whilst having a full time job. Um, so I was working five days a week and, and learning about coaching and coaching on the evenings and on the weekends. And there was seven days a week for a year. Um, and you know what? At the end of the, the one-year trial, I wasn't making enough money through coaching to quit my day job. But I, I loved what I was doing. I, I loved the whole business building side of things. I loved seeing the results in my, uh, in my clients. And I said, well, you know what? I'm going to give this another two years and see if I can build this up. Oh. And so I think that the how people sabotage themselves so much that they, they're too impatient and they want results really quickly. And sometimes and you know it as well, whether it's in building business, whether it's getting fit and so on, you put in the work in and nothing is happening. Yes. There's <laughs> no result coming. And then it hits the mm-hmm. Uh, what's it called? Um, like a tipping point yeah. where all of a sudden it just you've put enough effort, and it's everything know, starts coming your way. Yeah, how the universe works. Yeah, maybe it's just testing us, <laughs> testing us. But then the results start start coming. And so I, I always tell people when I coach someone, uh, we do all these you know thirty day challenges, hundred day challenges, and so on. I said every day I want you to make to to put a little bit of work into this take take action on this. And I don't want you to question for the first thirty fifty days whether it's working whether it's not working, just do it. And we work on the mindset of them feeling more motivated and all this stuff. But it's just great results, take time. If you know if building an amazing life or having an amazing relationship or amazing body, if it was easy to do, everyone would have that. Yes. right. And, and it's honestly, I'm not an abnormally intelligent person. And um, uh, wasn't getting the wasn't given the lucky cards at the beginning of my life. So if I can create a lifestyle that I love, then I think everyone can. Uh,
0: absolutely, and th- there is a stark contrast from the little boy in the village, you know, to, to learning a new language and to um, g- uh, w- creating something through through business that you f- are fully passionate about and enjoy. There's a massive thought process, and I, and I keep coming back in my mind to the hard work element. This isn't meant to just be put into your lap and your, your life is suddenly perfect. You've got to be uncomfortable, and it sounds yeah. like you put yourself in positions consistently where you were uncomfortable, and you did take risks, but also measured risks because you kept your day job for that first bit. You know, You, you, you were sensible about it, but then you put in the seven days a week in order to invest in whether the dream was fully possible.
1: Yeah, and you know, with with impatience, people are always impatient if they are in it just for the results, Mm. and I always tell people, learn to love the process. And then you have nowhere to rush because it's like going to the gym. If you're going to the gym just to get fit, then you'll be thinking, oh, I just want to get through the routine quickly. I want to get out of the gym and, you know, I want the six pack and hopefully it will happen in a month or so. And it's, just, it, it's, it's a sad way of, I guess, the ego just getting some kind of gratification or, or approval or just having the results. Whereas when you learn to love the process, imagine that rather than, oh, my God, I want my six pack, you shift your mindset to, I love working out in the gym, how, you know, it, I get to feel my body in a way that I don't normally get to feel. It, it's good for me. Um, endorphins are flowing through my body and I'm doing a good thing for myself. What a great way to show self-respect and self-appreciation than, uh, you, know, you know, going to the gym and, and sweating it out. And, and so when you have a perspective or mindset shifts uh, on focusing on that, then you don't really care that much when the six pack comes. Yeah, and that's, is that's not just this, a bonus. Yeah, there's not this impatience and frustration. Why is it not happening? And you, and you, if, if the end result is the only thing you you you're in it for. Then, and you know this. Everyone knows this. When you get it, there will be this few hours or day of happiness or couple oh. of weeks to feeling good about yourself yeah. and then it fades away
0: yeah very and quickly. then you
1: think yeah and you'll be thinking crap so i put six months into it yeah to to show it to you know my closest friends so look what kind of six pack high put it on, on on Instagram or Facebook somewhere get you know um, 100 likes yeah and and so what <laughs> yeah whereas if you love the process and I love the process of what I do then you you're experiencing this this joy all the time, when you when you do that, not just when you accomplish the result.
0: What a hard lesson to learn, though, especially for the yeah. the the sort of achievers and and the doers. I mean, I I didn't, as I said briefly before we went on the call, I was raised in a, a religious cult, and we weren't given uh, much of an. Education.